Welcome to Asbury Pod. You know, when we sit down to interview guests, we try to keep our conversation somewhere near the 45-minute mark just to keep things simple. But this week's guest, who has been a resident of Asbury Park since the 1930s, was such an engaging storyteller that we ended up with over 90 minutes of recorded conversation before we knew it, enough for two full episodes. So welcome to part one of our conversation with longtime Asbury Park police officer, former member of the Asbury Park City Council, former state champion tennis player from Asbury Park High School, and local pastor, the Reverend David Parriott Jr. Welcome, Reverend. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark, so subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Welcome, everybody, to Asbury Pod. It's February 25th, and we are here with a legend, the Reverend Perriott, Reverend David Perriott. Reverend Perriott, one, thank you for having us in your home, but two, I have to talk about this house for a minute because it's huge. It's huge. Was this apartments before, or just describe to us a little bit what this house was? This house was built in 1921 by Dr. E.A. Robinson. It was his home and his office. So he lived here and saw patients here? Yes. Huh. And how many rooms? Well, I say there's 15 rooms, but uh, others say there's less. But when you count them up, you you know. Yeah. I mean, the house is, rem- is a remarkable, like, beautiful house. And from the outside, you can't tell. It's it's huge when yeah. you walk in. And it's like a museum. You have wonderful pieces here, too, of you know memorabilia. And it could be a museum. Yeah. And what brought you to this house, Reverend Perriott? Huh? What brought you to this house? I was born in this house. It's over in the, one of the rooms on the north side of the house. And after... A while as I grew uh, up, five or six, I guess, or seven, somewhere there, that the doctor and I had a relationship in the sense that I was coming over here for whatever reason to be examined or just hung around. And uh, so I was in and out of this house like a a son. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, from that year, from those years, from my, uh, what they call tender years, it's seven, eight, nine. Uh-huh. And the doctor had a farm 
that uh, he took me out on in Tenton Falls. And uh, so we had, we just had a, we just tied, you know, together. I was like a son to him in a sense. Oh. We had, they had a, a gunning club out there. So I would go out on the weekends when they were shooting and uh, set load the traps. You know what trap mm-hmm. shooting is? Yeah. But all right, well, that's what I did out there. Uh-huh. And then I stayed on the farm in the summers mm-hmm. uh, and weekends because I said we had eight beagle hounds and four bird dogs. And this and was Dr. Robinson's farm. This was Dr. E.A. Robinson's farm. It was called Twin Sycamore Farm on Tenton Avenue in, mm. in, in Tenton Falls. There. And what what did he grow out there? Was it a well? We had we had what you call a. A garden, big garden, mm-hmm. and uh, raised chickens. Had over ten thousand chi- leg on chickens, them white chickens. Yeah, and we laid eggs. Yeah, and we uh, sold eggs out there, both wholesale and retail. Mm-hmm. There was a egg uh, a mm-hmm. distributor here in Asbury Park on Sewell Avenue called Garakoff, and we would bring him. Uh, uh, Cases of eggs of thirty dozen in a case, and so we would bring the the eggs in town. We raised pigs. We raised, uh, I said, the dogs out there, the chickens out there. Uh, we imported rabbits to uh, raise and grow around there, where we exercised the dogs, chasing rabbits and then hunting rabbits and pheasants. Uh, mm-hmm. And quail during this season. And Reverend Perriott, so so when you you were born in this house by Doctor Robinson, or you know with Doctor Robinson, but th- this isn't the house you grew up in. Uh, I sort of grew up in this house too. Okay, yeah. my family, the year I was born, moved to ten twenty two Madison Avenue, and. Uh, I spent my uh, weekdays and nights more at 1022 Madison Avenue, and then I had to be over here uh, at dinner time because uh-huh. the doctor wanted me here when uh, we were having dinner. He was, oftentimes he would drop me off at school and pick me up because we had some things we had to do. Wow. And the weekends, we went out on the farm, and they had, we had to count the chickens. Uh, and and uh, a lot of times, because back in those days, they had a lot of rats running in and out of the chicken house, so we'd go out there and shoot the, uh, these rats and trap them. So, when, so how did you end up here raising your family with you and... In 1968, the doctor passed away, mm. and uh, I was able to purchase the house. That's great. And, That's amazing. And I moved it. Yeah, I lived yeah. at 1022 Madison Avenue as an address until I was uh, engaged to get married at 20 or 21. Then I moved to 610 Pine Street. And I was at 610 Pine Street about 10 years. And I say when he passed in 1968, and I was able to obtain the house and 
Hmm. Moved my family from Pine Street over here. And at that particular time, I had two sons. One was a baby, two years old. That was Derek. And uh, uh, we moved over here in 1968. And you were working for the Asbury Park Police Department at the time? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Because I went on the police department in 1959. I got married in 58, 59, and I moved over here, uh, I say, in 68. And is you had your eye on this house the whole, is this, like, was your thought, I'm, I'm going to move <laughs> into this house and raise my family and stay here? Or did it just happen by happenstance? No, I think it was the doctor's thought. Mm. Oh, yeah. Right. Interesting. Tell us about, you know, joining the police force in 1959. What was Asbury Park like in 1959? Yeah, what was Asbury Park like in 1959? Uh, I'd like to go back to what it was when I was growing up. Yeah, start and there. Get, yeah, what was it like that. as a kid growing up yeah, here? In the, yeah. you, know, you were born in 1934, correct? Right. Yeah. As, as the, and born the same year as the the Moro Castle, Castle ship. ship. Yeah. Yeah, well, my father took us down there to see the ship. Because my father, you know, was on the police department, too. He okay. was on there for 30, 34 years. Uh-huh. I served 29 years and my son 20 years. My youngest son, 20 years. But uh, I said, growing up in Asbury Park, uh, Asbury Park back in those days was like, a, I want to say semi, uh, uh, like a southern state. You, you had problems, race problems, and on this part of Asbury Park, it was predominantly black people, African-American, colored people. Mm. We had those same kind of living conditions here. We were, uh, yeah, we were, we, the, for all of the activity that the folk on the, the southwest side of Asbury Park needed, it was here. It was mm. on Springwood Avenue, the predominance of the population uh, were uh, African Americans. However, I called uh, uh, my street of Madison Avenue the Avenue of the Americas because there were Syrian people. When my parents moved over to uh, uh, Madison Avenue, there were Syrian people, there were uh, Jewish people, uh, uh, one uh, Hispanic family, mm -hmm. uh, gypsies, <laughs> uh, and that's what I call it, the Avenue of America. Yeah. Uh, one of our mayors, Matisse, was living on the block. Uh, Hank Greenberg was another city attorney. He lived on the, on the block. Uh, I think we might have been the first black family to, to live over there. And that's another thing, too. Dr. Robinson uh, assisted my parents in purchasing the property over there. Mm -hmm. On Madison uh, Avenue. On Madison Avenue. But uh, 
we didn't venture across the railroad tracks in a sense. Yeah. When you went over there, yeah, yeah, uh, the signs and the attitude on that side, they didn't want you over there. You went through the five and dimes or the stores over there, they follow you around. You couldn't sit at the counter to eat. You had to get the food at the end of the counter, and that was it. Uh, and the predominance of people that lived here, some of them lived their whole lives. Never walked and went across the tracks. Never went across hmm. town. So far as the economics and the jobs, most of the jobs were uh, doing housekeeping, and mm-hmm. working in the hotels and uh, across town. I even went over and tried to work at one time at uh, one of the hotels. My sisters worked at the hotels, but it's in. The other thing about uh, the southwest side of Asbury Park, we got, uh, I'd have to count them again, was there about 13 houses of worship just mm-hmm. over here on the southwest side of Asbury Park. But I say everything that was needed to survive was here. There were clothing stores. There were uh, grocery stores. There were meat markets. There were hotels. There mm-hmm. were motels, there was uh, uh, cleaners, and my uncle, my mother's brother, started uh, uh, cleaners, the Manhattan cleaners, uh, Springfield Avenue, and not only did he do clean, cleaning clothes, etc., but he blocked hats, he made hats mm. uh, from felt. He had these wooden uh, heads, different sizes, and he would make these hats uh, for folk over there. Uh, Can I, Reverend Perriot, so you're describing sort of what we've heard over the years about, um, you know, the, the, the crossing of the tracks was something that a lot of black people didn't do. But you had, you had six or seven siblings? Seven. Of them. Seven siblings. Right. Many of them went all over, right? You you mentioned San Diego, Philadelphia, but you stayed in Asbury Park. Well, yeah, I guess you could say that. You know, <laughs> it, 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 you know school, yeah, I attended a, a, a segregated school in Asbury Park. Asbury Park. Uh, but you attended Banks, college in, the, in North Carolina? Yeah. Bangs Avenue School, which is only a block away from here, the blacks went to the south side of the Bangs Avenue School, and the whites went to the north side of Bangs Avenue School, separated by a chain-link fence. In the same building? In the building, as well as on the grounds. And you can see, if you go over there now, you see some of the, not the signs, but the sign says, even the girls and the boys were segregated. The boys went to the west, the east side of uh, the building, and the, the girls went on the left side of the building. You see the signs are still, you know, yeah. emblazing on there. We had a black principal. Uh, his name was uh, Highland Moore, and they had a white principal on the other side. But in 1947, the uh, integration of the school took place, and they made uh, Highland Moore, the principal, 
of the whole Bangs Avenue School. And when that happened, they, there was a, an exodus mm-hmm. of the white families moving out. Over 300 of us moved out. Mm-hmm. And this when they established how, uh, schools over in Ocean Township. Uh, most of the teachers, I say, we have black teachers on the south side, and uh, the only white teachers that we we addressed during our, my time then, until uh, the seventh grade, uh, not the seventh grade, yeah, we graduated in the seventh grade. Uh, the uh, uh, there was Gus Villapiano, he was the uh, athletic instructor, gym instructor, mm-hmm. and then there was another uh, uh, guy who was the, uh, the arts. I guess we we did uh, woodworking and things over there, and the girls had sewing and cooking classes. And, and these like were the that. only white teachers who stayed. They were the ones that yes, huh. yeah. The other was no. Some of the others stayed also. They didn't all. The teachers didn't all exit. It was the students, the students. Mm-hmm. That, that left. Yeah. yeah but it, the funny thing is, and I, as I look back at it, in my block, I told you it was integrated. Yeah. So the the uh, white students and I uh, would walk. Madison Avenue up to Atkins, and then we'd split because they had to go to Bangs Avenue for their entrance, and we went on Madison for that entrance. So we were buddy-buddy up until Madison. uh, We got over here to Atkins. Then we had to split. And coming back home, saying we'd meet up and go back to our our wow. neighborhood. That was our neighborhood. So. I don't even know. You, I, it's hard to think about you. Know, and this is this is as early as nineteen, uh, ni- late as nineteen forty-seven. Uh, this was still. And when did the segregation end? I said nineteen forty-seven. Yeah. Was when when the uh, uh, the when integration they, took place. In right. fact. I, maybe nineteen forty-seven was my graduating class going right. over to the high school. Okay, uh, I got pictures that were there in that. In that uh, and did you go to Asbury High School? Went to Asbury High School. And was all, that all of at the all time? of my family went to Asbury schools? Even my mother uh, took courses over there. And did the same sort of white flight happen at the high school as well as at the Bangs Ave School? Of course, yeah. Well. yeah, but not for quite a while because Asbury Park was a sending district, a receiving district, and Belmar, Allenhurst, Inner Lake, and and other areas around here, they had to come. They had to come to Asbury Park because that was yeah, they had to send the kids there. You see that same story all over the state, like New Brunswick High School was a receiving high school and eventually the white districts separated themselves and created their own high school south brunswick right. high school north brunswick high school east brunswick high school um right. all you know so leaving new brunswick this big sprawling high school 
So by the 1980s, it only serviced, you know, New Brunswick was a small town like Asbury Park. So it was like the 800 students from Asbury Park. So it was built for thousands and eventually was, you know, whittled away until it just was a tiny. The same you know. thing happened. Even your parochial schools. Yeah. Uh, over here, we had Mount Carmel. The uh, school was there uh, initially on Bangs Avenue across from where the Asbury Park uh, Middle School is now. Hmm. Uh, and that goes to for me to tell you that all in this area, all of the clothing for the parochial schools they had purchased down here on Springwood Avenue at Fisher's Department Store. Hmm. Uh, that was one of the places there. So, Reverend Perry, uh, you you attend Bangs Ave School. There's a, a an exodus of white families. You attend the Asbury Park High School. You go to North Carolina for college. Yeah. And then you return to Asbury Park. Yeah. Well, when I went away to college again, I was influenced by the doctor, uh, and uh, initially. Uh, uh, I was looking for a degree in poultry husbandry. Mm. What's that? We had, What's that mean? <laughs> we were raising, raising chickens. chickens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, I went to A and T College, you know, A mm. and T University, now in Greensboro, North Carolina, and uh, that's an Aggie the, school, right? It's an agricultural. Uh, right? Yeah. Oh. yeah. We were the Aggies. Yeah. And uh, while there, I got drafted uh -huh. to the military. And so I came back. Uh, I tried to keep from getting drafted by telling them to transfer my records down to North Carolina since I was down there. Mm -hmm. But then they wanted to take me, took me in the military from there. I, I don't want to go to the military from down here. I put my record back. <laughs> anyway, I, I got drafted and uh, served two years in the military. Uh -huh. When I came back from the military, uh, I had some injuries, and uh, A&T College did not renew. I had a four-year scholarship at the a and playing on the tennis team. I was on the boxing team. Mm -hmm. uh, a boxing team. team <laughs> weightlifting team. Uh -huh. uh, but... Uh, uh, so they didn't re renew my scholarship. Uh, I came back home, and uh, I went to visit my brother, who was over in Durham at uh, North Carolina Central University. Plus, there was always—I had to go back there and tell you about my tennis career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the high school, uh, we had the number one tennis team in the state. In fact, myself and my doubles partner, we won the New Jersey State Championship in tennis. Playing it, at the with, Asbury Park High School, the number one tennis team in the state? In the state. Oh, wow. We won, we won the state championship. Myself and my, my uh, partner, we played at Princeton University. Uh, Princeton, yeah, in, in Princeton. In 1950, we won the state championship. Yeah. And that was another funny incident. Uh, because they called, when they called for the awards to give us the trophies and things, they called Parry out in mud. 
And they were looking, and we were walking towards the, the, the uh, podium there. Parry out in mud, she kept calling. They didn't know we were black. Oh, my oh, goodness. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, <laughs> so we, <laughs> and, and uh, after that year, they changed how teams would win championship. You couldn't have a doubles team winning unless the whole team, the singles and the doubles, had to, had to be joint. So that they stopped that one after that. Oh my game. goodness! Wow! Because, wow! Because we came back again, I guess, to, to play the next year. But it, anyhow, so uh, you won twice. No, or, we or didn't win it? twice. Uh, the, the school came back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was graduating to get to go on away to school. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so, what are you, th- pa- Reverend Perry? In that circumstance, you're walking up there. You realize that they don't realize that you're black. And what are you thinking? You're thinking. wasn't thinking about anything like that. We were just champ. We were just yeah. growing up because right. we we had won. Uh, wow. In fact, my buddy, my my doubles partner, he's ninety two years old. He's living down there in Maryland. I heard from uh, him uh-huh. when my wife passed away. But say uh, uh, so I came back from the military. And I, uh, I went over to visit my son, my brother in Central, yeah. in uh, Durham, and I saw my old tennis coach, my old football coach. They had left uh, uh, A&T, and they were over there. And I was able to get a partial scholarship there. And so that's when I transferred over mm-hmm. to the uh, uh, university of North Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, of course I met my sweetheart, my wife there in nineteen fifty. And you convinced her yeah. to come to Asbury Park. Uh, whatever happened, we, she, <laughs> she, she followed me. <laughs> so, I met met her there in nineteen fifty six. Uh, after I was back home for uh, just a short while. And uh, where was she from originally? She was from South Carolina, from uh-huh. from uh, uh, the name of the place there, Lancaster, Lancaster, uh-huh. not Lancaster, right? Lancaster, right? South Carolina, and that's another funny story. Her grandmother had been in Asbury Park and worked for a hotel on Springwood Avenue named Parham's Hotel. She worked for old man Parham. He was a black hotel owner, mm-hmm. and he had a uh, some other business uh, uh, taking care of folks. Uh, 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 it just... Uh, I, I I don't know. The only thing I can say is it was God's will. Some, yeah, serendipity to bring yeah. you back together. Right. Doctor Robinson was from PD, North Carolina. Uh-huh. He had relatives in North Carolina and South Carolina, where we would, and every Thanksgiving the doctors would take me with them. We go south 
and things around in November for hunting. And we went to a town in South Carolina called Pageland. Page in South Carolina, 12 miles from Lancaster. (laughs) I was 12 miles from from my wife. Yeah, yeah. Uh, During those years in the 40s and... uh, late yeah, in, the, in the 40s and up to the 50s, yeah. yeah. Because we would go south and, and go hunting. Come, That was a tradition that the, they had in a big family reunion down in PD, North Carolina. Uh, I said that was so funny. When I got down there with my wife, and we went to Paisley, and some of the names... And the, the people they talked about in one of the churches that we went to, there was people that I knew. Wow. And this is, uh, what they say, umpteen years later. But uh, that part was it. Now let's get back to Asbury Park. Why? Well, uh, you know, it's not the first time I've heard about uh, a connection between Asbury Park and North Carolina. Um, you know, I read a book about Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, and a lot of if you know, after you know Wilmington had a terrible race coup, right. right? And the people who escaped, some of them came to Asbury Park, and this is the, going back to eighteen ninety, you know, nineteen hundred, like, much earlier. But so there's a there seems to have been a connection between North Carolina. Yeah, and Asbury. That's what, yeah, we're talking about that connection. Uh, and of course, my, my uh, some of my siblings laughed when I was telling them what my daddy told me. That he came, uh, his family came from uh, Louisiana, migrated to Virginia uh, in uh, uh, what's that, Virginia? Uh, anyway. I think I think Williamsburg. Uh-huh. They, they migrated from Louisiana up here to uh, Virginia, particularly Williamsburg. My mother uh, was born in Newport News, Virginia. Mm-hmm. My father lived in a place called Magruder, Virginia, which was later. Property was confiscated by the Air Force or the government, and they made uh, the blacks move out, and uh, they established Magruder Air Force Base. Hmm. And the blacks, my mother, my father's people, uh, moved to a place called Highland Park, Virginia, which is just over the tracks mm-hmm. out of Williamsburg, and in Williamsburg. My father's relatives and nieces and nephews, they were part of colonial Virginia, and they acted those parts in the streets and in the stores and the hotels and motels and whatever mm-hmm. down there, uh, uh, dressed in the colonial garb, and that was your job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I visited them quite a few times also. Uh, Reverend Perriot, so you come back, you, you you convince your wife to come here and start your family here. What leads you to the Asbury Park Police Department? 
uh, when my wife and I came back here, she uh, at first I rented a house, and then uh, the lady whose house we rented, she wanted to come back into her house, so I went back to my parents on ten twenty two Madison until it was time for go back to college. And then uh, uh, I bought this house on Pine Street, you know, 612 Pine Street, uh, which had been previously owned by Arthur Pryor, with him, the Pryor oh, wow. Pavilion. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that, hmm. that, that, that house over there, that property. And uh, 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 my wife, when we came back, she just, she, uh, uh, worked. She, she wanted to do some work because she's sitting at home. As she went to work for Chabelle, she uh, uh, but she didn't like that secretarial kind of work. It was a little rough. And she worked at Social Security, the Social Security or tax office downtown where the old Charms building huh. right. was at the time. Mm-hmm. And then. Uh, I went over and spoke to the superintendent of the uh, Asbury Park High School. I can't think of his name right now, but it come to me. And told him that uh, uh, my wife teacher, and I wanted to see if we could get a job for her. So she had an interview, and he took her right in. Wow. And so... She was there for 32 years. At the high school? At the high school. No, not high school. She was at Bangs Avenue School for maybe one semester or one year, and then she went over to Bond Street, and she was at Bond Street until they uh, uh, built this Third Avenue. Bradley. uh, Bradley School, and she ended up, she finished her career over there at Bradley uh, School. You know, my son goes to Bradley. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, of uh, course, uh, I said we were there at uh, 612 Pine Street for uh, 10 years before the doctor passed and came on over here uh, and bought this property. And what made you want to join the police department, Reverend? You just, because your father I, I, had been a I, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was in, uh, I wanted to be a phys ed teacher, but then uh, uh-huh. uh, I transferred from uh, oh, yeah. to state from North Carolina to Central. Central. To Central. I mean, to Monmouth University and doing elementary school. Teacher did uh-huh. some subbing over in uh, Deal and uh, flew up a few other places. Did my do teaching in, in Deal rather. I did sub. I subbed in Asbury, Neptune, Homedale, and other places. Substitute teaching, but that was after I returned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to, didn't want to join the police department. I guess because my father was on the police department, and uh, my brother and I was thinking about it. I took the test. Uh, he didn't take the test. And uh, I got a call that I had passed the test. And one thing led to the other. They called me for an interview, and 
they sent me to school down in in the Seagirt mm-hmm. after graduation. Of course, I was I was appointed as a regular police officer. And you stayed with the Asbury Park Police Department a long time. Twenty nine years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's the other thing too. When you talk about segregation and whatnot, when my father was on the police department, the black police officers were assigned to the southwest side of Asbury Park. Uh, they had no duties on the other side of the tracks uh, for quite a while. They didn't even weren't even allowed to come to the police headquarters. The sergeant would come over and have them sign the sheet. You drive over here and sign the sheet, but they were, the black police officers had to walk on Springer. You'll see some of the mm-hmm. police officers in the the book there. Was a was headquarters in the same place it is now? No, no. the headquarters when my, when my father was there was on Madison Avenue mm-hmm. and Bond Street. Okay, and they had a fire in the jail over there and whatever. Maybe they moved it over onto seven hundred block of Bangs Avenue, and then uh, later, of course, they built the complex where it is now. But uh, these black police officers had to sign a book when the sergeant came driving over. They didn't allow black police officers in the police cars or anything. And if they had an arrest to make, you had to wait uh, and what they call hit the box, the telephone box. You had one of the telephone poles down there when we wanted uh, what was Memorial Drive now, but it was called... Uh, Railroad Avenue. There was a box there. There was a box at Silver and Springwood. There was a box at Ridge and Springwood. And the siren would go off when there was a call for police. And the police officer would have to walk, of course, to wherever the, the call was. So the black police officers had a, you had a foot beat. You weren't allowed. Absolutely. Oh, no, no car. Absolutely. That was the funny part with me. When I graduated from school, uh, police academy, and the chief, when we met, told me, he said, you're going to uh, utilize me. I could best serve the department. And I ended up walking 18 months on mm-hmm. Springwood Avenue. I said, to the captain, black captain, I said, Cap, you know, uh, I'm out here shaking doors at night. I worked from 10 o'clock at night till 4 in the morning. And uh, I said, you got me out here shaking doors. Nothing out there. They said they're going to let me use me where I could best serve the department. Yeah. And I said, I want to speak to the chief. He said, well, you can't speak to the chief. So I kept after him. He finally said, go ahead. You know, I went over and I spoke and I told him. So the chief, the chief said, no, I didn't say that. You had to walk over there. And uh, he told me that I got the next shift. I got switched to walking Main Street. <laughs> <laughs> I walked from Main Street uh, from Asbury Avenue to the city line and north and then back. And then they decided to uh, 
put me back over here on, on Springwood Avenue. <laughs> and uh, and Reverend Perry, can say, I ask a question? That when you say they had these boxes, like, can you just telephone. describe that? So, it's a telephone. When I say a box, it was a So you a put telephone. Your, the person you arrested in a telephone box until no, the police? No, no, they no, had no, a, they no, had no. They had a call. Oh, you had it's a call, call box. Okay. Yeah, okay, yeah. sorry, sorry. A call <laughs> box. It's just up there on the on the pole. Okay. And yeah. you open up, you had, a, you had a big fat key. You open this metal box up and you, you talk to headquarters. So you would arrest someone, take them over to the box, so right. you could call another police officer yeah, to come take you, them. Yeah, you would yeah. walk them over there. Yeah, yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like the idea of putting them in the. <laughs> well, I'm like, we what the the wagon. You keep saying boxes. Right. I didn't. Yeah. I, yeah, I was getting a little lost on that one. Well, yeah. I remember you. If you remember, uh, New York City used to have the fire and the police boxes on every corner, right? right? So you yeah. used to call. We had those you know, the fire box because you just pull the handle down. Yeah. And the siren go off. <laughs> you know that's another thing too. Hopping around, we had a black fire department on this side of town too. What? Where, where? Another building? There wasn't a building. It, it, I guess it was. <laughs> uh, I, I I got the papers. It's in there. Uh, the fire department. They call it a Goodwill Fire Department or something like that. Yeah. And we go back into. And so that house. only had black firefighters working the southwest area for fires and then black cops working the southwest as area. i know about it or read sure. about it yeah, yeah. we we had a, a bus line over here it was run by blacks uh wow. that's all in, in, in the history come a time where that changed in the in the police department reverend Perriot, where it became a little bit more integrated or did it remain that way for most of your career Oh no, no! It changed way before my career, uh, uh, because my father was uh, directing traffic at the corner of uh, uh, Bangs and and, and Cookman, uh, Joe Reed, Cecil Reed. Those brothers were on Main Street directing traffic and other things, mm. and of course the Tom Smith. Uh, uh, and he came back from the military and uh, joined the police department. The, uh, he eventually was placed into the detective bureau. And uh, he, at one point in time, he was head of the detective bureau. Uh, well, when I came, the, the, I didn't understand why I was assigned to walking 18 months out there on Springwood Avenue, but... Uh, I just took it as a stepping stone hmm. and eventually uh, uh, graduated right through the ranks. Yeah. Hmm. We interviewed T. Gates, Reverend, and her was it her mom was the first black woman police officer in Asbury Park? Who was that? T. Gates. Uh, I'm saying her. I'm say no, that's all right. I'm just trying to think. Of she works at the fire department for like 30 years. And now uh, I'm forgetting she, the name she, of her she, mom. She, yeah. She wasn't a police officer. I thought she was the first, first black woman police officer. Her mother was, not T. T's mother was the first black Yeah. Woman. And now I'm forgetting her name, of course. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, I, I remember... Yeah, I vaguely remember... Uh, uh, 
black female special officers. I don't remember the police officer. Could have been. It, it, it could have been. It was quite a few uh, mm-hmm. older guys in it, going back to uh, Officer Dallas and Sidney Hawkins. They, 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 some of those pictures I see in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. Now, were you we, working for the police department during the riots, Reverend Perio? Uh, I was. This is the end of part one of our conversation with Reverend David Parriott Jr. Episode two will be released next week. As always, thanks for listening.